Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are now today in lesson 57. And last time we were in chapter 36 of Ezekiel and we reached verse 16. So we're going to continue from that point where God is saying, Moreover, the, the word of the Eternal came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelled in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways. And there again he contrasts the ways of the world, the ways of men, the ways of his people, and his own way, and that's the name of the religion. So, all the terminology that men came up with, that's not of God, but that's of men. And he says, they have uh, defiled the land with their own ways, and did to me, their way, you see, their religion, whatever that was, their way, that's the only way God calls it, because it's a way that you walk on. Their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. And that's basically what God thinks about the religions of this world. That's what he thinks about Christianity. That's what he thinks about Judaism. That's what he thinks about any religion on the face of the earth. Because they're all a mixture of truth and error. They're balmy to him. And that's his basic description of those things which are not of him, which are defiled. And that's the idea that he's conveying there. It is a defiled element, religion, way of life, a thing, whatever it may be. That's the way God regards it. And so when we think, or when people think that they are righteous, and they are devout, that people say, I'm a devout Muslim, or a devout Orthodox Jew, or I'm a devout Christian, all that, that's what God thinks about them. Their devoutness and their way is like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Because it's not pure. And God demands pure religion. God being spirit demands that he be worshipped in truth. Not in mixture of truth and error, which becomes like this description, the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. But he wants to be worshipped and demands to be worshipped and seeks for those very few who would worship him in truth and in spirit. Which means we have to begin thinking that way instead of thinking that our ways are pure and righteous and good. But we have to compare them with the word of God and they, they do not fit exactly the word of God. They are not pure. And all of us to one degree or the other are in this condition. And that's why even the righteous Isaiah, the prophet, and I'm sure many others feel the same, like David and others, he basically said that all of our righteousness, when you compare our righteousness to God's righteousness, he says it is unclean. It is like filthy garment, and that's how he described it. And so this is what God thought about the ways of his people. In verse 18, Therefore I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols which, with which they had defiled it. And today things are not different. And it's not for righteousness on the part of Israel or on the part of Judah or on the part of the born again or whatever it may be. All those people think that they're good people. It's not for that that the trouble of Jacob is coming, but it is because God thinks about them just like he thought about ancient Israel. But all the righteousness is like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. And that's what David, there is none 
David says there is none that does good, no, not one. They think they do. They think they are righteous. They are righteous in their own sight. Like the, the Pharisee that came to the temple and was praying, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that publican, you know. I do this and that. I pay tithe. I keep the Sabbath, holidays, and all these things. I must be a righteous guy. And you know what God thought about that man. And so we have to think about it from that point of view, too. And not think that we are righteous in our own sight. God determines righteousness, and God determines purity and truth. And if our ways and our thoughts and our ideas and our doctrines and our teachings are in contrary or different than the, those of God, then the, we are in this condition. We are like an, the uncleanness of a woman and her customary impurity. And so verse 19, So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries, and I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. So they haven't stopped doing it, and to this day they haven't stopped doing it. When they said of them, these are the people of the, of the eternal, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. And that's what God thought about their religion. And that's what he thinks about the religion to this very day. And that's why the calamity is coming upon the whole house of Israel, all the twelve tribes, both houses of Judah and Israel. Their religions are no different than the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. And that's how God feels about it. Of course, they don't like to hear that. And yet, God is going to confront them with that. And what, uh, what else are they going to say when they stand before him? Verse 21, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, that says the eternal God, I do not do this for your sake. In other words, it's not because of you that I'm going to bring you atonement or deliverance. It's not because of you that I, I gave my life or my blood or my body to be broken. It's not because of you. I do not do this for, the, for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. And that's what the nations and the false religion of this earth that claim to be the true religion of God. And the people of God and the Israel of God never understood. They looked at the sins of Israel and they were many and they were great. And they were grievous. And God hated it with passion. And they said, aha, that's so evil, God rejected them. And he chose us. And yet they themselves were just as filthy. Though they claimed to be righteous in their own sight just because they believed in Christ. So what? Even, Christ, even the devil knows that Christ is the Son of God. What does that make him? It, you know, that doesn't make him a Christian. And so people they confuse themselves and deceive themselves to believe that they are righteous. And Paul said, He that thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. And many of us who, who are the people of God, who have the Holy Spirit, we've got our own filthiness and our own pollution and our own sins and iniquities and our own divisions and confusion and our own leaders who seek power to themselves and covet money and covet this and covet that. What different are we from the others in these matters? And so God demands that all of us come out of Babylon. And those of us who have the Holy Spirit, as Christ said to the churches, unless you repent, I'm going to take away you know, your candle away from you. 
He is no respecter of persons, not even his own people. So we should remember that. And so that's what God is saying. It's not for your sake that I'm doing it, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Eternal, says the Eternal God, when I am sanctified in you before their eyes. By the mere fact that he's going to take his people through the tribulation and purify them and purge them, that is a remnant of them, and bring them back to himself, and make them without spot and without blemishes, and in spite of all their evil heart and wickedness, and then cleanness that they were walked in, he's going to marry them after he justifies them with his own blood and provides the atonement as he promised from the beginning of time. The nations are going to know who God is and who his people is and who his church is. And they're not going to anymore again say the people of God and say, well, you know, God rejected you. He put you down and picked us, us, you know, instead of you because you were evil. Yes, they were evil. And he, Jacob is going to confess that, that they were evil. They're going to love themselves. They're going to abhor themselves. And they're going to vomit out all the vomit that is in them, which they have swallowed, and they thought that was righteousness, which they gave names to, like Christianity and Judaism and all the others in between. And they're going to come back to the religion of God, which is the way of God. And the way of God is not the way of men. And so in verse... 24, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. And that's speaking to a people whose ways, as God is, as far as God is concerned, are the ways of the woman in her uncleanness. And yet he's going to wash them and purge them and cleanse them. So again, in spite of all that and what God says about his own people, the Jews would say, you know, if somebody says to them this kind of thing, they say, well, you are an anti-Semitic person. And the Israelites, who knows what they would say? And that would be true. But even God was anti-wickedness and sinfulness. And that's what he calls it. It's not anti-Semitism, it's anti-sin. And when they come to realize that, both Jew and Israelites and all the nations of the earth, then they're going to accept their punishment and guilt and repent, and there will be the people of God, speaking by the children of Israel, there will be the wife of God. As for the rest of the people, there will be the people of God, not the wife, not the church. The church is a wife. The church does not include the whole world. The church is a body of witnesses, and God had chosen a special people to be that body of witnesses and he hasn't chosen the whole world to become his church but only a body of witnesses to become his church and the royal priesthood to the rest of the nations and people don't even understand you know what the church is all about verse 24 in spite of their wickedness and evil this is what he's going to do to them and that's why the nations are going to know for I will take you from among the nations gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. No more filthy. 
And I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. And that's what his sacrifice was all about. To atone for the sins of his wife, so that he may take her back now to him without spot and without blemishes. And so the people that just went directly into the end of the story, into the New Testament, so-called New Testament, totally misunderstood the picture, what they were reading. And so they were like the blind They have eyes and they look at it and they don't see it for what it is. They have ears and they hear the message, but they don't understand it. They think they do. Verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Not my my Christianity, or my Judaism, my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. And the Orthodox Jew, or the religious Jew, think you are righteous if you walk according to the halakha. That's not what God said. And the Israelite, who calls himself a Christian, member of Christianity, said, I'm a good man because I'm a Christian. That's not what God said. If you're going to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, I'm not going to argue with it anymore. He says, well, I don't want to hear about the law. I don't want to hear about the Torah. Give me just grace, love, New Testament stuff. That's why we're filthy in the sight of God. Verse 28. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, You shall be my people, and I will be your God. You are going to be my wife, and I am going to be your husband. And yet, look at what we are saying, and we have been saying all this time. All the lies that we have swallowed, the vomit that was in us, and we thought it was truth. And we thought we are doing a great work by teaching lies. And practicing lies, and continuing the deception of the churches of Revelation 17. Verse 29, And I will deliver you from all of your uncleannesses, and I will call for the grain and multiply it, and bring no famine upon you, and I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields. Speaking about a physical nation that is going to be brought back, and some of them are going to be spirit beings, so they are going to enter into that marriage of spirit beings, while the others are going to enter, which are the majority of them, into that marriage as physical beings who are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what the church was all about. And that's what the marriage of the Lamb is all about. And people that come at the end of the road, at the end of the story, they don't know what they're talking about. They think they do. And so God is going to bring them, and he said, And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Famine of the word. Famine of truth. Because instead of that, they've been fed with vomit. That's not food. Verse 31, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that you were not good. You thought you were good. You know, I'm a good Christian. People say, I'm a good Jew. I'm a good this and a good that. God said, no, you were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. And that's the verdict of God on Israel's religions. 
And only those who fear God and tremble at his word are going to accept the verdict. And the rest are going to gnash with their teeth. Verse 32. Not for your sake do I do this. God is repeating it. Says the eternal God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and be confounded for your own ways. O house of Israel. And he's speaking to all of us. That's why he tells his own people. Come out of Babylon. Both the physical and the spiritual. And that's what he told the Revelation in you know, churches. That is the congregations. You know, it shouldn't be the way the word churches is not correct because churches for the entirety. But it's also used in the language for the local ones. So when he talks about the seven there, he's talking about the seven congregations uh, that were in different locations or specific locations. And he's telling them the same. You've got filthy things among you and evil things among you and adulteries and fornication among you. This is the people of God that he's talking to and we're not different today. We have the same things like in those days. We shouldn't pretend to be righteous people. You know, we have a measure of righteousness by the grace of God. But we are not all righteous. All of us have filthiness in us. We must humble ourselves before our God. Verse 33, Thus says the eternal God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. And that's what the atonement of Christ is all about. And yet for 2,000 years, the people of God have been told. They didn't know they are the people of God. That God rejected Israel. That all, they all went to hell. That only those who are Christians are going to be in heaven. And all this vomiting, you know, and filthiness and iniquities, you know, and all the lies that they've taught them. And even those that came out of it, partially came out of it, that's all they came out all the way. They didn't come all the way. That's all now they're, they're in the light. And everything they know and understand and believe is right and true and righteous. And God demands growing grace and knowledge and understanding because you are not fully mature as you think you are. And when we are not, we think we are righteous. All the way. Verse 34. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And this is going to be the land of the bride of Jesus Christ. The spirit beings are going to be there in Jerusalem, which is a physical city. It's not going to be a spiritual city until heaven and Jerusalem comes down from heaven. So even the saints, even the spirit beings are going to dwell in a physical place. And the rest of the bride, which are still physical, are going to receive the Holy Spirit. At least the adults among them are going to live in a place that is the Garden of Eden, paradise. That's the paradise he's talking about. And that's what he said even in one of his last statements on the cross to the, the other person that was crucified with him. Today you shall be with me in paradise. That's the paradise he's talking about, not that false, you know, invention of man going to heaven. And until that time, that, that person that died on the cross uh, with Jesus Christ that seem to be righteous, at least to a degree, he's still dead and buried, awaiting that promise. And so that was a part of the vomit and the filthiness and the lies and the deceptions that entered into a, a religion called Christianity. 
And they spread those lies. And they're still spreading it to this very day. And they think they're righteous. And we have our own problems. And so God is going to place his bride, both physical and spiritual, in the land of Israel. That's the land of God. The inheritance of the God of Israel. And so he says, Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Eternal, have rebuilt the ruined places and planned what was desolate. I, the Eternal, I, Jehovah, have spoken it. Not man, not me, not any man. God is speaking it. In whatever version you have, you know, on your lap, you know, that you're reading. God is speaking it. We must hear the voice of God. Bypass the man. And I will do it. Verse 37. Thus says the eternal God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase them. I'll increase their men like a flock. Like a flock offered as holy sacrifices. You see? The sacrifices of God are still there that God mentions, which he didn't say that done away with, but a lie that came from the mouth of the false prophets, of some who were confused, and may, may, may not have been false prophets, but in this matter they were. That's it's all done away with. Because they don't understand, because they went to the end of the story, not reading the whole thing. And so in verse 38 it says, Like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Eternal. And now they don't. And so now that we continue chapter 37, where many people who read this, among the Jews and others, not understanding the whole story about the first resurrection and second resurrection, they thought, well, this is it. When the Messiah comes, this is when, when it's going to happen. And others even lost that understanding among the, among the Jews, who went back to the land of Israel in this generation, or the last generation, actually. They've been there for quite a while. Well, they thought, well, this must be the fulfillment of chapter 37, you know, the rebuilding of the land of Israel. You know, so there's a lot of confusion out there. And God does not appreciate that confusion, because God gave them truth, light, knowledge, and understanding. And if they read the whole story and believe it, as the God of Israel, when he came in the flesh and spoke to his people in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, he said, Have you, had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. And had they believed Moses and the prophets, they would have believed him. And had we believed Moses and the prophets, we would not have believed lies. God rejected his people, and rejected this, and rejected that. So we too are in that category at least to a degree. So in chapter 37, verse 1, we read, The hand of the Eternal came upon me, Ezekiel is speaking, and brought me out in the spirit of the Eternal, and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. So it was a vision. And then he caused me to pass by them all, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And actually, and real, in reality, is that, no, they can't. If a human being is involved. But when God is involved, it's a different story. 
And so I answered, Oh, eternal God, you know. And you know whether they can or cannot. In other words, it depends on you. Because you do not depend on nature. Nature depends on you. Verse 4, again, he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the eternal. Thus says the eternal God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And so you see, long in advance, God was planning not only his coming and the redemption of his people and bringing them back to himself and marrying his people, but all those who ever lived before that and all those who are going to live after that until his coming, all these past generations, we're talking about 20, 25, uh, almost 2,600 years of preparation, so to speak, and planning and all that. So God never forsook his people. They were always on his mind, always on his heart, always engraving on the, on the palm of his hands. So there was no reason for anybody who knew the story to ever come up with this deception. And verse 6, And I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you. I'm speaking about physical life. And yet, as far as the false religion was concerned, and all those who taught lies, all those people were in hell because they did not obey God, they didn't know Jesus Christ from their point of view. And as for the Jews, when they came up with that false doctrine of heaven and hell, and they allowed it to enter into what they uh, what they called Judaism, which is their way, their religion, man's religion, mixture of truth and error, you know, based on the Bible in part, just like Christianity, and then their own inventions. And so they too, they thought, well, everybody that died, you know, that he's either in heaven or in hell. And yet that's not the way it is. God says you are in the grave. This is where you are. You are awaiting the resurrection. Verse 6. So God says he's going to give them life and he's going to put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the eternal because all this time you just did not know. You walked in darkness, in confusion, in lies, in deception, in your false religions. And he's talking about all those Israelites and Jews that lived in the past 2,500 years and those who lived before that and all the religions which they thought were the religions of God and had a relationship with God God says, no, you didn't know me all this time you thought you did, but you didn't because you worshipped me with your own religions, not mine you worshipped me with a mixture of truth and error and I call that iniquity and abomination and the filthiness you know, of that is a garment of a woman that is in her customary impurity. So God would not accept that kind of religion nor accept that kind of worship. That's in essence what he's telling them. And he says, now you're going to know that I'm the eternal, that I'm Jehovah. And even in the past 2,000 years, the Jews have not known God, at least they were not allowed to, to even pronounce the name of God. Because the rabbis told them that's forbidden. Blasphemy if you do. Well, that's not of God. That's of men. Verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I, pro- as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. And so, he's describing now the bringing back to life of all those who ever lived. And uh, let's jump to uh, 
verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. All of them. The entirety of the twelve tribes. Whoever lived before that, when God gave Ezekiel this prophecy, and who will live until his coming, and until the second resurrection. So he says, all these are the whole house of Israel, and they indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. And that was one of the lies that they were taught. You either went to hell, or you just don't exist anymore, or you're not God's people, or God rejected you, and so forth. So it's not that the bones can really speak, but God is, is voicing his feelings about the lies that they were taught. Verse 12, And therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the eternal God, Behold, O my people, in spite of all that you are and where, you are still my people. So God never rejected his people. And I will open your graves, because that's where you are, in the grave. Nobody's in heaven and nobody's in hell. It's one of the lies that makes the religion of men vomit in the sight of God, an abomination and iniquity, because it's lies. God says, I'm going to open your graves and cause you to come out from your graves. This is where you are. Nobody in heaven, nobody in hell, nobody in limbo, nobody anywhere in between. Only in the grave, in the ground. And cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Not the land of Palestine, the land of Israel. And those who don't know how to speak the language of God, maybe it's about time to learn to do it. And call it the land of Israel, as God calls it. Then you shall know that I am the Eternal when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. And I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Eternal, have spoken it and performed it, says the Eternal. And certainly at that point, I'm not going to argue with him anymore. And those who lived in the last few generations who have been told the lies of evolution, that they came from a monkey, they're not going to argue with him anymore. And those who don't believe that a God exists, I'm not going to argue with him anymore. They're all going to know that he is the Eternal. Verse 15. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. And then take another stick and uh, write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. And so God is going to unite these two factions of the house of Israel, that when they're separate ways, and even among them, were divided in all directions, and they had no unity of faith, no unity of doctrine, no unity of, of nationhood, no unity of heritage. They're all divided, scattered in all directions, and even divided in their own minds and hearts. And many in our own midst are all divided because of selfishness and egotism and all kinds of reasons like that and divisions and confusion. And so to put an end to this division, God is saying, 
in verse 17, then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hand. Now, mind you, Ezekiel lived 2,600 years ago. But God is speaking about the future, which Ezekiel is going to be a part of it since he's going to be resurrected. And some people, especially in the Jewish community, when they read that, they, they, they don't realize what's happening here. Because of false doctrine, you know, the heaven and hell. And then, you know, once you've got uh, this blinder in your eyes, you know, you can't see straight anymore. And so you read the scriptures, but you don't understand them properly, and you have to invent your own understanding. And that's exactly what the house of Israel had done. That's what many of us have done to one degree or the other. In verse 17, God is going to make his people one again, as they were in the days of old. You see, they've never been rejected. Israel has not been rejected. Judah has not been rejected. And all this time, you know, Israel, that did not even know that they are Israel, they thought they were Gentiles, they said, you Jews, you all went to hell. You're all going to hell because you don't believe in Christ. You know, you see all the vomit that is there and the abomination, the iniquity, and that's blasphemy in the sight of God. And many of us believe the same lies when we believe that God put down Israel and picked up the church because we are following the teachings of the great whore and the harlots. That's why we say those things. We believe those things and we don't realize where we got it from. We think we got it from the Bible. Verse 18, And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by this? That's because when Ezekiel was speaking those things to his own people, that is, those who were in captivity, they asked him, What does it all mean? So verse 19, Say to them, Thus says the eternal God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and this is what he calls them then. This is what he calls them today. He's not calling them by the names that they gave themselves, wherever they went. All those names are going to be done away with. And they're going to go back to their old names. To their old inheritance. And that is inheritance and heritage and culture and background and all that. And we'll have to forget about all the in-between because it was all full of vomit and, and iniquity and, and lies and deceptions and all these things. And that, you know, including all the Jews. But today they come to Israel and they still retain, you know, the, uh, the names of uh, what they were when they came from. And that causes a lot of division in the land and hatred and, and iniquity in the land and friction among them. But God is going to make them all one as they were before. Back to square one. And after a generation they'll all forget about the past and a new generation will arise that will not know all the... All all the deceptions and confusion and divisions and changes of names and languages and all these things, and they're all going to go back to the beginning. As Christ said, in the beginning it wasn't so, so they're going to go back to the beginning where it was so and continue from that point. And so God said, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. No more anti-Semitism, no more envy, no more friction, no more vexation, no more, you know, Ephraim and all the rest of Israel envying the Jews, and no more Judah vexing the children of Israel. As you read in Isaiah 11, they're all going to be one, united in mind and spirit and heart and religion in every way. It's not going to be any more Judeo-Christian ethics and to be again as it used to be before, the religion of God, the way of God, the statutes of God, the judgments, the precepts, the testimonies, and the commandments. No more halakha, 
And no more Christianity, and no more Christian ethics, and Christian values, and Christian doctrines, and Christian principles. We're going back to the beginning, and use the terminology and the language of God. And that's why God says in Zephaniah, he's going to give us a pure language. We can all speak the same thing, and not be confused anymore, and divided. Verse 20, and the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. So Israel knew about the coming unification of both factions of the houses of Israel, the northern and the southern. Israel was totally out of it. That is the northern kingdom. They totally forgot all those things as time went by. Because they went into total idolatry in many ways, and only a score of them, a small number of them, you know, retained the faith uh, for a few generations, and then even that, uh, that was gone. And then there was a reintroduction of it by the apostles, where they brought back the religion of Israel to them, and they continued to this very day with partial knowledge and understanding of the religion of Israel and the mixture that they've in injected into it from their own false religions. And so, they're going to be one now. And verse 21, Then say to them, Thus says the Eternal your God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. But now, ironically, they're trying to divide all over again and give some of it to the land and to the enemies. And I will make them a one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all, and there shall no longer be two nations nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. And this is the future of the wife of God, of whom some will be spiritual, spirit beings, and the rest physical human beings until they mature, and they hatch, so to speak, from, the, from the, the eggs, and come out, and be born into the family of God, the spirit beings too. But they're all part of the same marriage, the same family, the same church. And they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, and that's what God thinks about the religions of Israel, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, not walked in righteousness, but sinned. That's the way God sees it. So I have to see it from his point of view. And will cleanse them because they are not clean, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And there is the marriage of the Lamb. And if you don't have the background, you go to the New Testament, you just don't get it. You don't understand what you are reading. You think you do. Verse 24, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes. Learn the language of God about his way and do them. Verse 25. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David, who is going to be an eternal being now, spirit being, who is going to rule all over them, he says, my servant David shall be their prince forever. So if he is an eternal being, a spirit being, living forever, well, how long is Israel going to be alive? Forever. And forever they're going to be the wife and the church of God and the people of God. And people don't get that message, which is very plain. A child can get it, but the wise and the prudent don't. 
Verse 26, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. Everlasting. Forever. They're going to be spirit beings. That's what the heavenly Jerusalem is all about, and the bride is going to be there forever, not temporarily. And that's the church of God, the Israel of God, the mother of all, and all will be the children. That's what it means when Paul says, heavenly Jerusalem, the mother of us all. If you don't have his background, you don't know what he's talking about. And most people, unfortunately, don't. They think they do. And so he says, they will, I will have an everlasting covenant with them, and I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. And where is the temple of God going to be? In the midst of Israel, his people, his church, forever. And who is going to dispute that? And that's what God is saying, verse 27. My tabernacle, that is my sanctuary, also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's what the wife and the bride are all about. And the nations also will know, you see, in contrast to Israel, to the church of God, to the people of God, to the wife of God, to the bride of the Lamb, the nations. They're not a part of that church. They're not a part of that wife. They're the children of that wife. They're the children of that marriage. So you find Israel, the nation of God, the people of God, the chosen people, forever. The wife of God forever, the bride of God forever, and the nations, which are going to be the children. Verse 28, the nations also will know that I, the Eternal, sanctify Israel. Nobody else. He sanctifies Israel to be his wife. And the others will have to be sanctified through Israel by becoming the children of Israel, or the children of that marriage, the marriage of the Lamb and the marriage of the bridegroom and the bride. And so I sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So when you go to Revelation, the end of the story of this chapter of Ezekiel, which this is what he's speaking about, that's what you are reading there. When the heavenly Jerusalem descends, and both the Father and the Lamb, the one that became Jesus the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer, who came in the flesh, they are both going to be there in the midst of the people of Israel. It's not going to be all the nations of the earth. And unless you read the whole story from the beginning until the end, you just don't get what the gospel is all about, what the message, what the good, good tidings are all about, what the truth is all about. And then to go with ignorance and blindness and don't preach, you know, a mixture of truth and error into the world, that's confusion. And so that's very plain. God makes it very plain. And people who understand it, and people who comprehend it, and people who read it, and people who humble themselves before the Word of God and see it from His point of view instead of what they have been fed with all this time, they're not going to have any problem with it. And so let's continue with chapter 38. Uh, now, God is speaking about the people that He's going to bring against His nation after He brought them back from captivity. The first time, and this is going to be a repeat of that also, uh, with the second resurrection. Chapter 38, speaking about the, the people of Gog and Magog that God is going to bring against his nation. And uh, in verse uh, 1 and 2, we read, uh, Now the, the word of the eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them. So God now is continuing to reveal uh, events to come. And then uh, let's go to... Uh, to verse 8, we read, 
when is he going to bring these people to uh, his land that is against his people and that's after his coming verse 8 he's giving you the time element after many days you will be visited in the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel so he's not speaking about the people who are going to be brought back out of the grave in the second resurrection but he's going to he's speaking about the people that are, are being brought back from captivity the coming of the Messiah the Redeemer so he's talking about two different events there, and people get confused between the two and this is where he's going to bring them you know and gather them that is during the time when he brought back his people Israel and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel which had long been desolate they were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely and that's the time element and God makes it very plain and uh, then he's going to bring uh, uh, in verse 9 we read and you will ascend coming like a storm covering the land like a cloud you and all your troops and many peoples with you thus is it the Lord God in other words God is not done with the nations now that he brought back Israel he's going to show himself to the entirety of the world who the real God is and that's the reason why he brings all these nations uh, after his coming uh, who still haven't heard his name the people that came against him at the time of his coming well he dealt with them and sent them to the rest of the nations to declare his glory but there are many many nations out there like the, the oriental people and many people who haven't heard his name yet they haven't submitted to him yet so God is going to show them who is boss just like he did in the days of Egypt with Pharaoh and just like he's going to do with the Assyrians and all those who are coming with them at his coming so he's going to do it with the rest of the nations of the earth and so this is what he's saying basically in this story and since we're reaching the end of the tape here I should stop at this point and say greetings to all God's people until next time this is Mordecai Joseph the preceding message was taken from the World Wide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.